0: Good evening. You know, the uh, past month or so, this uh, we've been um, breaking fire code in this room on Sunday nights. Is there something going on this evening that uh, I saw the Carter? The whole Carter family was at our main campus this morning. Because uh, in the, as you'll hear in a second, one of my. We baptized uh, my youngest son, and my oldest son joined the church, made his profession of faith, and Phil and Sarah J and the whole Carter family were there. And I was like, "Man, thank you so much for being here to be a part of this." He's like, "Bro, Super Bowl," and I was <laughs> like, <laughs> "Okay." So, thank you for your faithful, you faithful few, who love Jesus more than football. First Peter two nine through twelve. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may see, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Word of the Lord. Lord, uh, as we come to your word, um, we we do, we laugh, but Lord, we we also recognize that. this is a profound statement um, as, as our culture and our country um, gathers around what in many ways is um, the God of our culture. And, um, and Lord, we're here. We're here. And because we strange exiles and sojourners in this world love you. Lord, sports are great. And given to be enjoyed, and uh, we'll all enjoy that t- tonight um, together and with our friends. But, but we do recognize that you, you are God, there is no other. And uh, it is a joy to come together uh, and worship you and to hear from you now. And so we pray that you would bless us and uh, let, us, let us see wonderful things from your word and change our hearts and our lives, Lord, for Your glory, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, yeah, this morning <clears throat> I want to introduce our passage this evening with a vivid illustration that happened this morning at uh, at our main campus. Um, in our in one in one service, one of my uh, my youngest son, Henry, was baptized. And my oldest son, Holt, made his profession of faith before the church and took his first communion. Um, and something very profound is happening within both of those acts. Uh, for, for Henry, for my youngest, uh, today is the day of a new identity. Uh, through the waters of baptism, he, he is marked. He is forever marked as among the people of God, as we call it, a child of the covenant, a child of this story that you see in Scripture, a member of the church. We believe that our children are members of the church, and that's significant. Uh, The rite of baptism, what it does is it consecrates our children apart. And uh, from this day forward, Henry's family is now God's family. Um, Henry's story is now God's story all the way back. Abraham Henry is given a new identity today and will be raised within that identity within that story his brother Holt my oldest son today embraced for himself the identity of his heritage he was baptized as well into the story the people of God but this identity comes with tremendous blessings and expectations and today holt publicly embraced both those um he 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 took his vows before the church and um, received the salvation of the covenant and devoted his life to the responsibility of this covenant so one child received the identity the other child embraced the blessings and responsibility of that identity and that's exactly what our passage that I just read is saying to us this evening that you have a new identity Peter is going to use words that are just amazing to be said at this point he's going to use some um, amazing words to identify us but then he's immediately going to say but that comes with blessings and responsibilities and that's how I want to order our time we're going to look at the identity of Israel the blessings of Israel and the responsibility of Israel. The identity of Israel, verse 9. You are a chosen race, you are a ro- royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, anybody in that context would know exactly what Peter is alluding to here. Um, actually, it's not an illusion, it is, it's he's being unmistakably explicit. These are all very well-known titles for the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, uh, though they are used multiple times and in multiple ways throughout the older covenant, there is one famous passage that um, almost echoes Peter's words here from Israel's history. At Mount Sinai, we know of that story because that's that's where famously uh, Israel received the Ten Commandments. You know that, um, but what you need to know is that that moment was when the, this people became a nation unto themselves, and um, the law given to Moses um, on, on Mount Sinai was kind of like their constitution. And there was kind of like a preamble to their constitution for this nation. And it is this from Exodus 19. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And those words became... Uh, cherished and beloved of the nation of Israel. And now in the most audacious move, Peter is taking these famous, cherished words from God to his people Israel and directly applying them to Christians. He isn't using this as an allegory to say, you're kind of like when God said this to Israel. he's, He's saying, this is you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood you are this holy nation now how can this be how can it be that they are a chosen race when Christians are not a particular race but a convergence of all ethnicities how can it be that they are a holy nation when Christians are not a particular nation but a convergence of every tongue tribe and nation this language made sense when it was applied to Old Testament Israel as an ethnic people group and a singular nation but how can Peter apply these words to Christians who, who have no designated race, or nation, or tribe, or people, and so forth? Well, the answer, <clears throat> and this is fundamental to the story of the Bible. Um, if you're unfamiliar, uh, if you're unfamiliar with how the Bible fits together and all that, that's totally okay. Um, if if you're kind of newer to the Scriptures and don't really know about how the whole Jew Israel thing relates to us and all that. Listen up here for just a minute. Let me let me let me show you what, what we're talking about in this. The answer to all this is that the gospel has taken the every tongue, tribe, nation, diversity of the Christian faith and unite us together as one race, one priesthood, one nation, one people of God's own possession. And we actually have a name, and that name is Israel. And we actually have a history and a heritage. And that's the Old Covenant with its covenants. Let me explain this. The story of the Bible is, for the most part, the story of Abraham, this guy Abraham and his family. That's essentially what the Bible tells from Genesis 12 on, is the story of Abraham and his family. God chose Abraham and promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in heaven, as you heard in your Old Testament reading. That's that moment. And that these descendants, all of the people that come from Abraham's heritage, would be blessed by God, meaning they would be the recipients of God's promise and his very salvation. So essentially the promise is this. Abraham, whoever comes from you will be saved. Okay? and so the bible essentially tells the story of abraham's blessed heritage which became known as israel two generations in abraham isaac jacob jacob was renamed israel that's why we use the name israel and so the the children of abraham became known as israel the chosen race holy nation people of god's own possession but here peter is telling those who are not a part of abraham's heritage uh the bible refers to them as gentiles Okay. He's talking to Gentiles like us. I'm assuming almost everybody here is probably Gentile, probably as far as our heritage goes, our physical heritage goes, we are not children of Abraham. But here Peter's telling them that they are a chosen race, a holy nation of people of God's own possession. That is, he is identifying them as Israel, but they are not a part of Abraham's family. How is that so? Well, the twist of the story the mystery of the ages is what the apostle paul calls it is that people who are children of abraham are not those who have the physical heritage of abraham but the but the faith heritage of abraham abraham is the father of saving faith it's said of abraham that he believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness. He is, the, he is the father of salvation by faith alone. Therefore, who are these sons of Abraham and daughters of Abraham that shall outnumber the stars of the sky? It was wrongly assumed by the Jews that it was those who shared in the physical lineage of Abraham, when in actuality it is those who share in the faith of Abraham. I'll give you a few verses from the New Testament to show you what I mean. This is Galatians 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, no male, no female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Romans 2, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision, which marked the Jews, outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Romans 4, Abraham was justified by faith to make him the father of those who have faith. So, here's the point that there can be no doubt about how the Bible views this. The mystery of the new covenant which is outlined in the new testament the mystery that is unveiled when jesus comes is that those who have faith in jesus christ are sons and daughters of abraham and heirs of all the promises given to abraham and in this way the nation of israel includes all nations the ethnicity of israel includes every race the language of israel includes every tongue yes the people of israel is all the peoples of the earth And in that way, the original promise given to Abraham has come to pass. When God first started this whole thing with Abraham, he said, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you. And that is what Peter is saying to these marginalized, persecuted, scorned by the world, ragtag exiles. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of God's own possession. You Christians who have faith in Jesus are the new Israel. Or perhaps a more precise way to state that theologically would be this. You who have faith in Jesus are the grand fulfillment of Israel. That whole story culminates in you. And then as soon as he does that, he immediately, as soon as he identifies them as Israel, he immediately transitions into the significance of that identity. Essentially what he says is that this identity, that you're, you are now this, okay, but that comes with great blessings and great responsibilities. And that's where I really want to focus our time with more of application. That was kind of the teaching part of it, the identity of Israel. Now let's look at the implications of that. First, the blessings of Israel. Verse 10, you, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once again, this is unmistakable language uh, for the people of Israel, and it calls to mind the promises that God gave Israel, both external and internal promises. We see the external promises in that phrase, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Again and again throughout the Old Testament, when Israel was dealing with external enemies, external threats, the common refrain that God gave them is: Don't worry, you're my people. It began with the great exodus of Israel from Egyptian slavery, where he says, I want you to go tell Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Those are my people. My people you're oppressing. My people you're enslaving. And how dare you mess with my people? Any minute, God ravishes their country with plagues. God strikes down every firstborn in their land. He drowns their military in the ocean. He utterly decimates their kingdom for messing with my people. And then throughout Israel's history, every time Israel was being threatened or, or even defeated like in exile, Yahweh reminds them through his prophets, you're my people, you're my people. Isaiah, fear not, O Israel, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Jeremiah, they shall be my people, I shall be their God. Ezekiel, thus you shall say, you're my people, and I am your God, declares the Lord. Zechariah, I will bring them back. They shall be my people. I shall be their God. Joel, I am the Lord your God. There is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. All throughout the Old Testament storyline, it's this. Those are my people. And you don't mess with my people. Now, they're stubborn. They drive me crazy. They're, they're, they're wandering. They test my patience. They forget me. And I discipline them, but at the end of the day, those are my people. They're my people, and you don't mess with my people. And every external enemy of Israel learned that in the severest ways. And now, Peter says to these exiles, oppressed by Nero and the Roman Empire, you're my people. And he says to us, persecuted by the world, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. So let it be known to all those who mistreat us, whether it be the imprisonment or martyrdom of our brothers and sisters in Asia and Africa and Middle East, or what, whether it be the, uh, the subtle scorn and mockery and intellectual and political marginalization that we see in the West. Whatever form it takes, whatever form the opposition takes, let it be known, O world of our persecution, we are God's people, and you need to be careful messing with God's people. We're easy to mess with because we won't retaliate. We don't defend ourselves, but our God will defend us. And in the end, all enemies of Christ's church will answer to our God because he loves us. We're his people. But what if the enemy is among us? Forget the world. Nobody is a greater threat to God's people than God's people. So quick to forget our God, to spurn our God, to even worship idols, other gods of our own choosing. Oh, how unfaithful are the people of God, to which Peter says next, to the internal threat. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That language is from a prophet, Hosea. His story is a fascinating story that I commend to you. Um, the Lord, the Lord uh, didn't just have Hosea prophesy. He made him actually experience the pain that God was going through when he prophesied. He basically, he said, I want you to prophesy out of your own experience. And so, um, and so what the Lord did, he said, the book opens, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so Hosea takes an adulterous woman as his wife, and again and again feels the pain of her betrayal as she goes after her lovers. And she conceives illegitimate children, and God has Hosea give them the most awful names that describes what Israel deserves. So one child is named Not My People. Another child is named No Mercy. And yet Hosea, chapter 2 of Hosea, just comes after Speaks tenderly to his unfaithful wife, woos her back with his love, gives her his vineyard, and so shall it be for God's unfaithful people. And then regarding his children that represent what Israel deserves, the Lord says to Hosea, Say to not my people, you're my people. Say to no mercy, I will have mercy. And now Peter says to us, once you were no mercy, but now you have received mercy. No no matter your wanderings, no matter your unfaithfulness, no matter your whoredom, come home to your God who is always eager to receive you back with his mercy. So the identity of Israel comes with great blessings, both external and internal promises that God will defend us from all foreign and domestic enemies, to use our language. But our new identity doesn't just come with great blessings. Now belongs to us the great responsibility of Israel, which is nothing less than God expected Israel to save and fix the world. Let's look at that just as we saw an internal and external promise. Now we see an internal and external calling. Internally, their calling is holiness. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So as sojourners and exiles in a world that does not know our God, that does not love His ways, in a world where temptation is literally hounding us At all times where our fleshly passions are constantly being enticed, He urges us to fight, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is just the call to holiness. This is just the good old-fashioned call that God has always had for His people. Forever the call of Israel is, be holy, because I'm holy. You're not like the rest of the world that disregards my ways. You are my people who love me, and you obey my law. Now, that's not given because God is some cruel taskmaster over His people. That's given because He loves His people. Notice that last phrase there. Staying from these passions which wage war against your soul. The passions of your flesh are trying to kill you. And the world around us is self-destructing because of the uninhibited indulgence of the passions of their flesh. So as the world implodes through its wanton disregard for God's law, whether it be the indulgence of uh, sexual deviancy, which is everywhere, all over our culture, or the lust for power and greed, or the anger and hatred and violence of our age, as the world kills itself, you people of God abstain from the passions of the flesh that are trying to kill you. But in that pursuit, and this is very important, In that pursuit, be very careful not to do what your ancestors did before us. You see, the way that Israel of old tried to remain a holy people was to remove themselves from the world that they saw as the bad place and all the bad people and huddle up in their little subculture of self-righteousness as if to say, if we don't engage the world, if we don't engage the bad people, then we won't be tempted by the bad stuff. That option's off the table for Israel because their holiness was always intended to be missional. It wasn't just about your good of abstaining from these things that are trying to kill you. It was, you need to live out your holiness so that others may see it. Notice that verse 9 does not end with the declaration of a new Israel. Immediately goes into application. You are chosen to race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are the people of God in this world in order to proclaim the excellencies of your God in this world. And that pattern is always the same for Israel. You are blessed to be a blessing. I bless you, Abraham, so that all the earth will be blessed through you. And that's what we see here in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh but not by huddling up and retreating from the world. Verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to marginalize you. But when they do, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In the end, they're going to worship the God That you've been bearing witness to in other words live in and among the world while also maintaining a conduct that is befitting the people of God that's the balance that's the tension that Israel was always struggling with either huddling up and retreating from the world or accommodating and becoming like the world around them they never seem to get the balance of living in and among the world as a distinct, unique people of God that's different. That's the balance Israel always struggle with, and that's the balance that we struggle with. You can't be like the world, but you can't retreat from the world. Instead, you have to engage the world while also bearing witness to another world, that's the kingdom of God, inviting the world around you to join your world so that on the day of visitation, meaning when Jesus returns to this world, the world that has known you and your life will join you in glorifying your God. That balance, that tension has always been the most difficult part of being the people of God. As strangers in this world, what does it look like? What does that look like? Well, truly the rest of 1 Peter, or for the most part, 1 Peter is going to uh, lay that out for us. Um, he's going to say, this is what it looks like to do marriage that way. This is what it looks like to raise children. Uh, immediately, and this is very applicable, immediately he's going to say, this is what it looks like to be a people of God underneath a secular state that doesn't love and know your God. This is what it looks like to relate to those, ahead, uh, those, those in authority over you. So he's going to go through that practically. But honestly, this topic... Of How to properly engage the world around us while not becoming like the world around us But actually changing the world around us. It is such an important topic. We need so much help There is so much confusion in the church I see Christians just just so confused and we're arguing about what it looks like and we're messing up everywhere And I just think that we're desperate to have this conversation so desperate that we should throw an entire conference about it which hey (laughs) How about that? Uh, two weeks, we're going we're to have this conference. and this, That's all we're going to do, and you need to be there. You really do. If you're a part of this community, you need to be at this conference because we are going to take our week, and we're going to imagine what does it look like? What does it look like to be this? Exiles in this world, sojourners in this world, living among people who don't know our God, don't care about our God. What does it look like to engage them without becoming like them? And actually dreaming of changing the world you need to be there for that because it's going to be really good but for now today let me close with the end of Israel's story began in Abraham the mystery of the ages we are engrafted in let's go to the end of the story Jesus returns bringing with him the new Jerusalem the capital of Israel and every tongue tribe and nation that has been grafted into the people of God will be with their God. And this is the pronouncement from the throne of God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Did you notice a slight change which is the change that god's people have been pining after through the ages and centuries again and again god has been telling the generations of israel you will be my people i will be your god you're my people i'm your god and he's still saying that at the very end of the story with one slight change that makes all the difference in the world they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god it's not just that we are his people and he is our God. We are his people and he is with us as our God. Finally, God's people will be with their God. Until then, we have a sacrament, which is the closest we get to being with our God. Let me pray and prepare our hearts for it. God, help us <clears throat> to come to this meal where you promise a special measure of your very presence you are our god we are your people and we want to be with you come join us in this feast lord be with us overwhelm us with the good news that you are our god we are your people a holy nation a chosen race Overwhelm us with that, both the blessings and the calling of that, and may we live our lives with the high and holy calling that you gave to Israel to save, redeem, heal this broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.